listening to the Writers Forum, underwritten by the law firm of Alcorn and Rather, LLC. I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and today I'll be speaking with author and artist Rebecca Keller about her debut novel, You Should Have Known. Ms. Keller is an exhibited artist, a college professor, and a Fulbright artist and scholar. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I noticed in your bio that you are a visual artist. How does that background impact your writing, and in particular, your writing of You Should Have Known? You know, that's a pretty interesting question, and it's one, I have to be honest, I don't have a great answer for, um, except that I'm used to, I guess one of the answers, maybe putting the cart before the horse, is that I um, I got used to rejection <laughs> <laughs> as a visual artist, and uh, working, you know, kind of hard without having any sense of how it would find its way into the world or if it would. Well, let me so ask, let me ask, go ahead. I'm that. sorry. Well, let me ask you this. As a visual artist, I'm wondering if, for example, when you create these characters, if you have also visualized them. You know, what I do, what does, I've noticed what does happen uh-huh. is I have a, an image. I often write from an image. Okay. And it's not necessarily the character, All right. but some kind of, you know, uh, an image of a scene or of a place. This novel has, uh, the, the place is almost another character. So I do have yeah. some very strong images of, of setting. Right. So, so that happens. Okay. Um, and another, another overlap actually, uh, which I think is true maybe of all creative endeavors is you have to get good at, at taking in feedback and criticism, recognizing what's helpful, what's appropriate, what you can set aside and incorporating that into your work. And that's something that a life as a, as a visual artist, uh, taught me is understanding, you know, how to, how to best receive and, and use critique. Well, you know, speaking of that, so let's, let me just say, I've read the novel and you should have known as a very perceptive novel, at least to me, it goes beneath kind of the veneer of everyday living into what I'd call the hardwood beneath, but Mm -hmm. not everyone wants to go there these days. Did that concern you at all when you were writing it, that you might be going too deep for some people? You know, no. Well, no. And to tell you the truth, I'm glad to hear you say that, because part of me thought is this, once you're in the middle of something that takes as long as a novel, it's very hard to get above it, kind of, and Mm -hmm. have a sense of what this is like. The one thing you never, ever have is not knowing what's going to happen right? Right, right. <laughs> you know, once you've completed it or even completed a draft. Now I, I did rewrite the last third of this book three times, but you, you know, you, you don't have the kind of freshness of somebody coming to it. So I hoped that, that there would be meaningful themes that were accessible to the average reader at the same time without it being too heavy um, because a lot of people, I, I guess I hadn't realized just how much people react in ways that are um, 
just very particular the way people react to the idea of aging and getting older, which in itself has surprised me how, how hard that hits some people, just the topic. Um, And so maybe I underestimated that, but I also thought that the character was written with a lot of humor. I think she's actually very kind of, um, you know, sardonic and and self-aware and funny so, no. I, let me just say, point. yeah. No, let me just say that I think you can read this novel and and thoroughly enjoy it, no matter how deep or how 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 undeep, if that's a word, you want to go. Mm-hmm. I just, for me, uh, because I am up there in age, many of these things resonated, and so I, I just thought that was really well done uh, through the characters. But we do know that in these in these days, you know, not everybody wants to go there. So I was kind of curious right. if that was something that concerned you. It. it Thank you, and it, thank you for saying that. And it did actually, I think, impact the um, the difficulty I had getting it published. Ah, to tell you the truth, yeah, that happens. And it, it took, yeah, it took the form of people saying, "I love this novel, but I don't think I can. I don't think I can." This the agents mm-hmm. that I queried saying, "I don't think I can get uh, a novel that centers a an older protagonist published." Wow. You know, yeah. I, I always tell writers when they tell me stories like that, and, and as you know, there are many. I, I'm going to yeah. forget the author's name now, but the gentleman who wrote Matterhorn, which was set in mm. Vietnam, was rejected yeah. for almost 30 years, and then it became yeah. a New York Times bestseller, right? So yeah. what, what do agents know, right? <laughs> right. Well, and interestingly, I did have a, a few reach out to me and say, after it was published, and say, you know, um, I this was a good lesson for me. Ah, that's good. That's good. They can learn. All right. There are multiple themes in this book, relationships, aging, as you've mentioned, grief, mortality. Did you start off knowing, and this may have to do with how you start, whether you outline or whatever, did you start off knowing you would touch on these or did it evolve as you wrote? It evolved as I wrote because I started with a kind of vague notion that I wanted to write a book in which a an essentially moral person, a person with a pretty strong moral compass, mm-hmm. uh, gives into their worst impulses. And that's Franny Green in here, right? And that's Franny Green. Okay, that's go ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, although I didn't, I didn't know that that was that she, I didn't know her yet. <laughs> right. Right. But I, um, I, I had this vague notion that I was very interested in the idea of what might someone uh, and two things. One, what, how uh, this idea kind of a revenge. But I also wanted the um, the act that was being revenged to not be a direct one on one, you know, um, you know, the, the whole ripple thing. When yeah, somebody yeah. creates a, a ripple in a pond, you never know how that ripple is going to affect somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I wanted it to be the kind of thing where she was dramatically impacted and she definitely figured out who created the initial ripple but that the person making the initial ripple had no idea, you know, or was thoughtless and greedy. Yeah, and and listen, it works really well, and I don't want to give away too much on that, but I I thought that process worked really well. Uh, And maybe as a former lawyer (laughs) and administrative (laughs) law judge, it did resonate with me a little bit. All right, so the book's story is set in a senior assisted facility where Franny Green is being moved. Do I understand yes. correctly that the setting kind of came to you because you were actually moving your own mother into such a facility? Yeah. Well, to connect to the 
earlier question. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had this idea about, you know, I wanted somebody who was in this particular situation. And I began thinking to myself, well, what might lead somebody to act on their worst impulse? And one thing that occurred to me is, well, if you're older, the stakes are different. And you might think, because old people tend to be invisible in this society, that you can get away with it. Mm -hmm. And you also might think, you know, heck with it. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and, And so I was thinking along those lines when... I had when my mom moved into an assisted living facility and I realized that it was a pretty rich kind of environment to set a novel. It's semi-closed, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a reason so many novels are set in, you know, haunted mansions or places that are out in the woods or there's, you have a cl- kind of a semi-closed system. But of course, in assisted living, new people do come in and they bring an entire history yeah. with them. Yeah. And they also bring, perhaps, memories that are cloudy. And so there's also the additional layer of are people remembering this correctly? Yeah. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and and how how do those histories intersect? And they, you, you know, one person may not recognize or know how their his, his histories intersect with someone else. Yeah. So moving her into that place made me and my own mother is very very different than Franny Green and and all of this but it it made me think about that as a as a setting as a really rich uh, you know set of possibilities it's perfect it's perfect now you write one of the things that struck me um and this is when i talk about going a little deeper it's just it's a psychological aspect i guess but you write perceptively that old age is quote a new country close quote filled with forgetting and dwelling on the past now, where does that insight come from? Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe because um, it's certainly reading. it's certainly accurate. Yeah, reading, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. knowing older people. Yeah, um, you know, one of the things that often happens is we focus on older and forget about people. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. You know, and and older people are just that they're people, yeah. and they're not necessarily. We've all known older people who have begun to maybe um, be diminished in some way or another. But we also all know people who have not, who Mm -hmm. are older, but who are still very sharp and whose um, capacities are perhaps honed by a lifetime Mm -hmm. and whose, uh, whose judgments are shaped by a lifetime. And so, um, and, and yet they're highly aware of how, society in general and the people they know in particular change the way they view them. Yeah. And that insight I get, you know, I'm not old, but I'm older than I used to be. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm well. <laughs> right? And so I have seen that I have seen my understanding of the world and my, um, which, which of my gifts have become sharpened over mm-hmm, time mm-hmm. and also how people have changed in their, Subtly, perhaps, in their view of me and their expectations of me yeah. as I've gotten older. Yeah. Well, okay, so in the book, Franny has lost her husband, Cal. And she, yeah. she does spend some time looking back over her life and remarkably wonders if she was actually present for parts of it, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. again, that part I thought was actually fascinating because I think I'm 65 going on 66. It certainly resonated with me. I think it will resonate with a lot of folks. Yeah. 
And I think that comes directly from, I think, my own, maybe all of our lives. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, when yeah. you're raising kids, Franny has children who play a significant role in the book. As, you know, I had kids, a career, and in the, the tumult of daily life, mm-hmm. you know, um, you, you look back and you think how, if, if I were to move backward in time 20 years and just spend an ordinary day, like at that, the end of our town, remember that? Place? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we would probably all just be heartbroken at the things we're missing. Yeah. That yeah. we don't even notice yeah. because we're just busy trying to get to the bus stop on time. Yeah, and you know, Franny also wonders, again, she's a very multidimensional character really well. She also wonders a little bit of her anger has made her miss things as well. And I found that yeah. to be to also be a universal theme that people can understand. Now, another thread in the novel has to do with trauma and loss. Uh, in this case, the loss mm-hmm. of a child, Bethany, uh, who was yeah. a grandchild of Franny. And she, of course, she's also lost her spouse, Cal, and the effect that such loss has had on her and her family. And, you know, such loss does not really leave us, does it? And it doesn't leave Randy. No, 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 it it stays with one. And that, you know, my, um, my own, like many families, I've, my family has had significant losses. um, And in terms of like, so my, in I lost two brothers, both of whom in their 40s, and mm. they both died within uh, unexpectedly right. within about, I don't know, a year and a half of one another. Yeah. And of course, this was devastating to all of this, but it was for my mother, and no, it shortened her life. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. You know, the grief just never, it, it almost, it enters her almost at a DNA level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, so I know it shortened her life, and I know it left her with a sense of the loss of purpose. Mm. And, um, and of course, if they had died from, and, you know, death makes people angry. Yeah. But if they had died from, un, from being caused by somebody else's actions, yeah. I think she would have been livid. Um, yeah, and, you know, you're talking about grieving and that. And, and back to the book, though, how we deal with grief... And from losses differs, and that's really true for Franny and her daughter Iris, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah I mean, they deal yeah. with it with the loss that they both suffered in very different ways, and that's part of the that's part of the story here. Part of the story here of of how they deal with it differently, right? Yeah, and I think uh, Franny, um, part of her reactions, I think, has to have to do with. Her relationship with Iris, she yeah. feels so protective of Iris because Iris is so fragile, yeah. and um, and it and I think part of Franny's anger is seeing uh, seeing how Iris's life has just been completely derailed by mm-hmm. uh, by Bethany's death, which may, of course happens when when one loses a child, yeah. uh, but Iris in particular is is you know perhaps more than. Uh, than others, um, really, really devastated by it. And, um, and I think that Franny's reaction, her protectiveness, her anger, I think she also has a certain amount of, I don't know if anger, but exasperation at Iris as well. Yeah. Um, I think that comes through. I think so, but not in a bad way. Just, you know, um, it's that we've all seen it. I mean, how many times have we had a friend say, listen, I hate to say this, but you just need to move on or you just need to get over it. Right. And there's yeah. a little bit of that sense, but not much. 
Um, yeah. Now, another overlapping layer in the novel has to do with another couple at the retirement complex. Uh, that's Catherine and Nathaniel. Yes. Tell us a little bit about these two and how you came up with their characteristics, because they're very different, at least on the surface, they're very different people. Yeah. I mean, they. I think at one point in the book, I say there's nothing more mysterious than a marriage. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I have known uh, couples where um, it's a mystery to me how they are together. Yeah. I've always but, said, you know, relationships are obtuse to everybody except the people that yeah. are in them. And sometimes they're obtuse to the people that are in them, too. But, exactly. but most of the time... Most of the time, from the outside, you know, we, we can't figure them out. Go ahead, though. I interrupted exactly. you. Yeah. Well, I, I think part in, in their case in particular, it ha- might have to do at least partially with their age and their social circumstances. Right. They're, they're both, you know, from very traditional Southern backgrounds. Uh, and uh, Catherine defers to, to Nathaniel in all things except sort of their social life and their social schedule. And she, you know, does the social niceties and interacts with the the world of, you know, having dinner and, and you know, I think she was in junior league and all, all those kinds mm-hmm. of things. Whereas Nathaniel kind of doubles down on his um, his professional identity, which is with which he's, his ego is, you know, he's he's got a huge ego. And Catherine is more than happy to satisfy that ego and she finds a certain there's a kind of weird equilibrium in their um and and mutual dependency in their um their relationship that i think is you know um perhaps more easily found and more more likely to be found in people who are older yeah you know in his case again having retired myself um a lot of men uh ident- their whole identity is wrapped up in their job and i had that yeah. sense with nathaniel and then when yeah. they when they lose that, there's a relevance question. There's all that. Um, mm-hmm. Both both fascinating characters, though. I confess, I was a little more drawn to Catherine than to Nathaniel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and and that of course is partly deliberate because yeah. Nathaniel's just not a real nice guy. No, he's really he's really not. <laughs> now they they say that um, char- good characters help write a story. Did you find that to be true with Franny and some of the other characters? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there were times when, you know, they went ahead and did things on the page, and I was like, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Franny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've actually had I had an author years ago say on the show he, that he would suggest something, and his character would say, nope, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. He was right. Right. So they right. actually when, do help. And there's this increasing sense that you're just, I call it, riding uphill. Uh-huh. Where it's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's another, the story raises, of course, another issue, and that's one that Franny wrestles with, and you talked about this early on. What are we to do with the harm we have caused to others, uh, you know, when we look back on it in our older years? And that's something that that Franny has to deal with, right? Yes. And and, And, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, you mentioned, so when, with our earlier um, kind of comparison of a ripple in a stream. Yeah. Um. Here, you know, Franny is is reacting to to harm that has been caused to her and her family, deep harm, yeah. uh, by someone who was sort of unthinking mm-hmm. and uh, unthinkingly corrupt, and um, and the repercussions of that, you know, really 
hit her family hard. But at the same time, she she is guilty. Realizes later on, she's kind of guilty of doing the same thing. Yeah, that she, you know, acts in such a way that causes potential harm to a complete innocent yeah. who gets caught up in her world and uh and then she realizes that she's no better than in some ways than her antagonist yeah it, it, yeah I, I that was well done and actually as part of that part you're talking about you managed to work in an immigrant story and i couldn't mm. help wondering i looked at your website and and it said that some of your art is both quote political or activist art close quote yeah was it important for you to bring in that part of the story that the immigrant part of the story yeah, I wanted, you know, we live in a complex world. And frankly, you know, the people who work in yep. assisted living facilities are often the the most vulnerable segment of the workplace. You know, they're immigrants, they're um, often people of color and people who don't have a lot of other options. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and yet they're working hard. And, and Graciela, the the person in mm-hmm. the in question in the book is is a striver you know she's in school yeah. she's trying to bring her son um and she's a she's a i i she was somebody actually who really helped tell the story she really yeah. um you know and and there, there are certain kind of echoes between she and franny and here you know franny is sort of unthinkingly doing something that possibly harmed her um, so the, the immigrant story, I just wanted the world to be more complicated yeah. than just a straightforward tale. And I wanted the thing, I mean, it's obviously not about, you know, you wouldn't call it a, a crusading social justice novel, but I, I did want there to be um, the context to be, you know, humane yeah. and mm-hmm. um, and recognize the complexity of the, of the world we live in and these places, you know, that have weird kind of hierarchies. Yeah. Um, well, it, it, again, so, it, work, yeah. it works really well, and it and what it does is it, it closes the circle, if that's the right way to say it, where Franny's focused on the harm done to her and, and almost unthinkingly starts to harm somebody else, and that, that, yeah. that works really well. Now, look, there's another resident here that we haven't talked about who <laughs> I actually liked, Evan. Um, yes. Tell me a little bit I about. Tell me a little bit about this character, Evan, and I, and I have a suggestion for you going forward. But tell me a little bit about Evan. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. So Evan is um, is another character that really uh, continues to call to me, actually. Um, so I wanted, you know, your draft. Your one of the things when you're drafting a novel, you have kind of the, or I actually anyway, have kind of a bare bones part of it, but I thought, how can I make it um, increase the sense of Franny, Franny her, her fear uh, of being caught yeah. and her recognition of, you know, sometimes we see the effect of our, of our actions in reflected when, in others' response to us. Yeah. yeah. And when, so I thought, well, I have to have somebody who is really um, perceptive, mm-hmm. and I have to have kind of a counterpart who's a little bit of a um, that pokes pokes at Franny a little bit and doesn't let her off the hook too easily, but at the same time is deep down on her side. But of course, she doesn't know that mm-hmm. really, um, and so his presence both increases her sense of peril, her sense of discovery, and also um, 
increases the, you know, he's kind of the necessary component in that he's both um, with her and again her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in a way. yeah. Well, and, and in the book, they become something of a detective duo, right? Yes. Yeah. Accidentally. Yeah. Well, I, I have to tell you, when, I, when that transpired in the course of the book, I made a quick note to myself, and here's my suggestion. I, you ought to write a series with those two cracking retirement home cold cases. <laughs> Michael, you are, um, you, so I, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but I, but I have been thinking a lot about, um, so when this book, when I was offered a contract on this book, uh-huh. I was deep into another book, which I'm still working on. Right. But the one after that, I'm thinking actually of, of using, um, some of these same characters, uh-huh. notably Evan. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I just, so uh, you know, it's you're, funny. You're ahead of the curve there. Mike. No, they, it, it's a perfect fit. He's a great character, as is Franny, and, and the relationship between them, you know, it's a universal theme because any of us who have ever watched a detective show know there's always kind of an oil and water approach between, right. you know, that it, it works really well. Well, let me, yeah. let me end with this question. You know, as, a, as an artist, it'll be interesting to see if this is any different between the, your your exhibit art and your fiction writing. So when you write a a fiction story and you create characters, you then present them with issues. In this case, Franny with some of the harm she's trying to address and some of the things she does. And you invest yourself in that character. What do you, did you learn about yourself? You personally in writing this and, and doing this process of writing and investing yourself in these characters. Oh, that is such a good question, and it's a tricky one to answer because it's 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 it all flows together with the process of of writing a book and getting it published. So I learned, you know, that I'm extraordinarily stubborn and persistent. Mm-hmm. Um, I also learned that um, that sometimes I need to get out of my own way. Ah, okay. And, and um, you know, and that. Uh, I need to invite um, invite things into the process and into my mind and into my thinking that I didn't that I have to be open to understanding what I need yeah, in a way, yeah, yeah. what I don't have, what I need. And um, this kind of still, I guess I, I learned that I have to set up filters in certain ways that both, um, uh, screen things out and also let things in. And you think you learned that mostly from Franny, from writing Franny, huh. or Evan, or I mean, which character I think influenced I learned you the that most? From writing. I think I okay. learned that from trying to line up the the pieces. I got you. Uh, in a in a way, I also so I learned a lot about writing. Not right. surprisingly, about myself. I think I learned, uh, or about about. Um, the, I think I learned that I'm actually uh, that I was actually more marked by my religious upbringing than oh, okay. I thought. Okay. Um, not that it's a religious book in any way, or that I am religious, but the kind of rituals that Franny misses, mm-hmm. and the kind of uh, way that she raised her kids, and how far she's come from that. I think um, when I when I look back and I see my own um, 
you know, the, the, my childhood, I was raised uh, in a very Catholic household, not, not a conservative one, but one that was where faith was very centered. Mm-hmm. And uh, as Franny has, I think at one point uh, when she she realizes that uh, the afterlife is closed to her, if there ever was such a thing, that suddenly she's like worried about it. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, and I'm not I don't mean to imply that I'm worried about it, but I, it's interesting to see the traces yeah. uh, that life has left on me that get through a series of transmutation and transformation come out expressed in the words of another character and um and then to trace them back to reel them back into through a very thin thread and to you know see oh that happened to a friend of mine when i was 12 yeah. you know yeah um, yeah well that's so, fascinating so, yeah. yeah no fascinating and i think all writers learn from from the characters they create which is i think yes. when i from the feedback i get at the station sometimes it's like people are really fascinated by that idea yeah. Uh, and the other thing I would say is Franny yeah. gets on her high horse. Uh-huh. And I, you know, especially when I was younger, was a real high horse. Hit <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, I am guilty as well. Unfor- <laughs> unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to the Writers Forum, and I've been fortunate enough to speak with author Rebecca Keller about her debut novel, You Should Have Known. It's a very good read. Please pick it up. Rebecca, is there a website or social media site that folks can go to in order to learn more about the book and about you? Yes. So my, I have a, my author's website is RebeccaAKeller.com. Uh-huh. My artist's website is RebeccaKeller.net. Okay. Uh, and I actually have a, uh, a Substack um, newsletter that I'm actually enjoying a lot, actually, oh, okay. putting together. Right. And so I would love it if people subscribed. It's free. You know, you can get it in your email and read it when you have a minute. I think it's good and entertaining, and it has, I think, a lot of uh, reflections and insights that, that come to me in the process of writing or reading. And... Uh, and that I share with the people there. It's not very long, but hopefully I'd love to have people connect that way. Okay. Well, Rebecca, thanks so much for being on the show. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it. This edition of the Writers Forum has been brought to you by the law firm of Alker and Rather LLC. Tune in next week, Tuesday at 4 p.m. or Wednesday morning at 5.30 a.m., to hear the next segment of the show.